0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Come on, somebody. Last night we got to watch, if you were into this the UFC fights, and you got to watch people who were undefeated Keep fighting. You got to see people who were coming back for another round for a rematch. And I want you to know right now, he has never, not one time lost. Not one time has he been defeated. Can I tell you, not one time has God even been knocked down. The only time that he chose to get down was by choice, and that was to get back up again. And I feel like right now, I don't know what's going on in your life and what's going on in the people around you's life, but right now, I just want you to know that God does not lose, he wins. He continues to win. He won back then. He wins today. He wins tomorrow. God does not lose. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're with us for the first time here, we're so happy that you did come. You guys can have a quick seat. We're going to mix things up just a little bit today. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, address the big elephant in the room. And that is that in our area, if you're with us on Facebook, has kind of gotten overrun a little bit, if you will, or had a flare-up of some COVID issues. Um, So we are fighting those. And one of the ways we're doing that is by... Uh, we have a lot of people that are staying home today, joining with us online. We're happy that we have technology to be able to do this. Remember back in the day, we had to go have the cassette tapes, like the old the old school cassette tapes. I don't know what was before that. I don't know if they transcribed it, but um, back then it was the cassette tapes, and we used to go through... And uh, when I, one of my first jobs in, in working as an intern as a church was to copy all the cassette tapes. And we, had, we thought we were high, you know, uh, high power, and we had like four copiers at the one time. You put that center one and boom, boom, boom. It was fantastic. Those were back in the day. Now you're with us live. We're so happy that you're with us, or maybe you're watching with us uh, at a later date or listening to our podcast or on uh, iTunes or Google Play, so we're happy you're with us. Um, I am here up here today because my family was not. Uh, immune from what took place here locally. So uh, mom and dad are doing good. Uh, in fact, right now, as she's typing out stuff for you guys on our Facebook feed, uh, she is at home. She's doing well. Dad's doing fine. I think he's just taking this as a vacation. Um, and now I'm just playing. He can't correct me because I'm here and he's there. Um, and so it'd be good. So last time we got to talk, we didn't have the service on the Fourth of July, but we spoke uh, the week before that. And we talked about uh, Hosea and Gomer. And we got a lot of feedback on that message. Um, And the whole uh, premise of that is how we, like Gomer, and like Israel, a lot of times have gone astray from our first love. A lot of times have we find ourselves, whether it's by choice or by slipping, if you will, finding ourselves away from the one that we're called to be with. Uh, Later on, uh, we kind of had some really gut-check moments on where are we? Are we Gomer? And we had a lot of feedback and a lot of... Uh, The vast majority of people are like, yeah, that's me. Uh, And I can tell you that in my life, there's been uh, multiple times where I've looked and I had to have those gut check times. Where am I with God? And so uh, we're going to dive in today. I'm not quite sure next week how it goes, so I'm just going to keep talking until uh, he kicks me off the stage. So here we go. Uh, Today we're going to be talking uh, through one of the most famous Psalms of all times, and that's Psalms 23. Um, And we're going to kind of sit there for a little bit today. Um, so if you're with us, you have your Bible, you can go ahead and, and, and open that up. If you're online, open up the BibleGateway.com um, on a tab, and you can check with us on Psalms 23. Uh, on Here, we have it on the screen, so we'll be good to go. But the idea today, and I just want to kind of give you this whole idea, if I could take this whole message and put it into one nutshell, it's this. That we need to have outer stability from inner tranquility. We have to have outer stability That comes from inner tranquility. How many of you understand there's a lot of people that their lives are falling apart and they know their lives are falling apart and you know that they know and they know that you know but they're still trying to be fake as if the the ship isn't sinking. It's the old Titanic is going down and the band keeps playing on. We're just going to ignore this whole thing that's going on. And a lot of times just because you look stable doesn't mean that it's coming from a place of inner tranquility a place of inner peace. A place where Christ is dwelling. You know, a lot of times that we find ourselves being thrown back and forth. And I truly believe that God wants us to have a stable life. In the good times and the bad times. Being stable. How can you be unstable in good times? I'm glad you asked. Uh, how many of you understand the enemy a lot of times in our lives does his best, best, best to push us with bad things to crush us? And then when he can't do that, it seems like he partners with the prosperity to lull us to sleep. This is what happened in Israel back in the days of Hosea and Gomer. Is Israel was so prosperous, there was no longer wars, there was no longer battles. They didn't, air quote, need God, so they turned away from him. How many understand, in the good times and the bad times, finding a place that's stable in your life. There's a lot of people that would say if they won the lottery and had 100 or two hundred or $300 million, they, they would just disappear. Maybe they would go crazy. And I think what happens is that good times and bad times, hear me out, do not cause somebody to be unstable. It reveals what was already there. Good times and bad times reveal what was already in the heart. Just like money doesn't change anybody. If you were a jerk when you were poor, you're just a bigger jerk with money. It's just, it's, it's where we are. If you're a giver when you are poor, you're a giver when you have money. Money doesn't change. Good times and bad times doesn't change who we are. It reveals the pressure and the tension points in our lives. And so God wants us to be stable. Like he said in, through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, that the Lord, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So let's go ahead and dive into Psalms 23 here. I I love this. Pastor uh, uh, Adrian Rogers, not the quarterback from Green Bay, that's Aaron Rogers. Adrian Rogers says this, that this psalm has been sweet and it's a personal blessing to all who read. It is as sweet to the child as it is perplexing to the scholar. I love this. And you read this online join with us as we get ready to read this. In fact, if you're with us online, I want you to read this out loud, whether you're by yourself or with a whole group of people. Psalms 23 verse 1, it's on the screen. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you that as we dive into this, that you open our ears to hear Let us see what you want us to see and have life change today. In your name, amen. While there's so much to unpack in this chapter, really I want to start off on the very first part. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That alone, that one phrase is one of the most powerful phrases in the entire Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is where we begin. And, and, and it's great that we talk about green pastures. It's cool to talk about the valley of the shadow of death. It's great to talk about how uh, you're anointed with oil. But it all starts off with this one phrase. The Lord is. The Lord is. If you're taking notes or you're online with us, write that out. The Lord is blank. Who is he? Who is he to you today? This three-word statement makes or breaks... The rest of everything that we go on. When we talked about Gomer, we talked about how she related to Hosea as, as her master. And he said, no longer will I be your master, but I will be your husband. And it's how you label something that gives us access to something. So let's just, uh, I'll, I'll take Matt here for example. Uh, Matt, uh, if I looked at Matt and you said, hey, who's this guy? And I said, oh, that's Matt. He's the air guy. How many of you understand Matt does AC? Okay. Now, every time you see Matt, he's just the air guy. I'm going to call Matt when it's hot. I'm going to call Matt when my heater's broken. I'm going to call Matt when everything's falling apart with my unit. Now, if I look at you and I say, oh, that's Matt, my friend, you will approach him differently instead of just being the air guy, but now he's Pete's friend. He's the guy that Pete hangs out with, and if he's Pete's friend, then I better be careful what I say about Pete because he's got Pete's back. It changes the access. Now, let's take it a little bit deeper. If I say that Matt is my brother, the access is even greater and changes everything. How we label something is how we will relate to it for the rest of our times. Notice that Matt never changed once. My label of who he is changed. And when I declared him as something else, it gave him and you different viewpoints of who he is. So David looks and says, the Lord is blank. Who is God to you? At the end of the day, can I be honest with you? It doesn't matter the titles that God gives himself. Doesn't matter. In your personal life, when God says that I'm Jehovah Jireh or I, I, I am that I am, that's great that he calls himself, but what is it that you call him today? It doesn't matter what your wife calls him, your pastor calls him, your mom calls him, it doesn't matter what your kids call him, it doesn't matter what your, your, your boss calls him, it doesn't matter what the media calls him, it doesn't matter what everybody's opinion is, and I think God is like this, what do you call him today? The Lord is what to you today? This statement, when David made it, hasn't stopped. A thousand years after he makes this statement, and about 23 miles north, Jesus finds himself in a very similar spot. Jesus is pulling up to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And this place is unbelievably unique. And because I'm a history nerd and I have the mic, I get to talk. So here we go for a second. I want to give you a context about this. See, a lot of times we have this picture when Jesus says, Hey, who do men say that I am? We kind of have this picture in our minds that Jesus is like on a boat and it's bored. And he's just like, fingers running in the water and like, Hey guys. What do, uh, what do people say that I am? Who, who, who talks about this? Who, who does, it's it's kind of like a very dangerous situation for the disciples. Have you ever had that as a, as a husband or a wife when they ask you a loaded question? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, babe, do you think I could lose some weight? How do you answer that question? If I'm like, no, you can't then. Or, yes, you can. That's bad. So Jesus says, who do men say that I am? What do your friends think about me? Well, see what happened. Well, like they're, they're beginning this conversation here. So, it's a very important location. No, they're not on the boat just being bored. They're at Caesarea Philippi, and what they're doing here is, this is the base of Mount Hermon, and from this place is the headwaters of the Jordan River, and, and in the ancient world, wherever there was water coming out of nowhere, they thought it was from a god. Especially in a very desert situation situation like them, water, nowhere, it's God. There was also a cave there. It's crazy because in that moment when Jesus is walking, all the Canaanites, they had this altar or a shrine built for Baal at this location. Now, the Romans and the Greeks also had a shrine built there also, um, and it was for the god of Pan. And they had this thought that there was a cave there, and it was a bottomless cave full of water, which I don't understand how it can be bottomless and full of water, but I digress, um, that would be science. Um, and, and so Jesus uh, was there, and he's walking, he sees the, the, the statue of Baal, he sees the statue of Pan, and then also, because Herod just could not gain any graces with the Roman Empire, he then decided that he was going to set up a shrine to Caesar, because Caesar called himself God. So now you've got Baal, you've got Pan, you've got Caesar, you've got other gods from other other groups of people that have set up here. And Jesus is walking around looking at all this and going, interesting. Interesting. So when he pauses and sees a statue of Caesar, and Caesar calls himself God, Jesus doesn't take the moment and go, oh, he thinks he's God, I'm God. No, Jesus pauses and goes, it doesn't really matter what I call myself. What do, you, what do people say that I am? What is it that is being said about me? And in Matthew 16, he, they said, Some say you are John the Baptist, which really freaked some of the leaders out because they just took his head off. Some say Elijah because you have so much power and can do these incredible things. That's cool. Some say Jeremiah, because you weep over those that don't turn and, and repent. And some say it was like one of the other prophets, which is funny that they just loop all the other people in there. Whether that's Jonah or Hosea or whoever. Some may say, Yo, you're like one of those people, reincarnated. And Jesus pauses, and he makes this statement, who, who do you say that I am? See, this is the first thing we got to realize about our walk with God, is that we can look and have a relationship, big air quotes, and call ourselves Christians, but it doesn't matter what the outer circle calls him, it's what do you call him today? And this is the most perplexing question that God could ever ask anybody today, is who do you say that I am? And I think for me personally, we give labels to everything. Hi, I'm Pete, I'm the son of Alan and Marsha, I'm the dad of Malachi and McKenna. I'm the friend of Matt. I am the youth pastor. I'm an associate pastor. I may cut grass. So you call me a maintenance man. You can call me uh, a loser. There's a million different things you can call somebody today. But at the end of the day, who is your most important person is, what do you say that I am? Who do you call me? I'm not sure if you have been the subject of conversation before? I have. What? Some good, some not good. And it's interesting because people talk and I'll go, oh man, guess what I heard about you? Or dude, did you know that you did X, Y, and Z? I'm like, no, did not know that. Or maybe you had this, bro, I heard that you were at, or you did this, or you had that. I heard, I heard, I heard. And what I'm realizing in my personal life, maybe you have done the same thing, is you realize that people talk about what they think you are. Yet no one actually turns around to ask you who you are. No one ever comes to look and say, hey, what's going on in your life? What's happening with you today? I think it would have been very interesting if one of the disciples would have been like, oh, Jesus, it doesn't matter what they say you are. Who are you? Why don't you tell me who you are? But they didn't do that. Because a lot of times what we try to do is we search for our relationships to dictate the label we put on somebody else. Because if it's an unknown thing, it scares us. So we have to label it. And we label things way too quickly. We label people way too quickly. And sadly, but truly, a lot of times once we put a label on someone or something, it's done. Have you ever been to a restaurant and had a horrible experience? You know what's crazy? They don't shut the door the next day. Because for somebody else, it was a great experience. Think about that. So we were at Six Flags a couple of weeks ago, a whitewater, and they had these, like, free kiwis. And so I, I gave one to Malachi, and he was very apprehensive about it. But he takes his bite. A nice cold kiwi. And he goes, oh, this is amazing. I didn't think I liked kiwis. But what was funny is to get him to take a bite, I had to threaten his life. You know what I'm talking about? With your kids, you know they're going you know to like something. You know it's solid. You know it's great. And they're so like, no, 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 no. As if it's poison. We're like, dude, it's, it's not going to hurt you. So he takes his bite, and then he's in love with kiwis. Last uh, this, a couple days ago, I had this big bag of, straw, of cherries to which he tells me, Dad, cherries are just gross. I can't believe you eat those. I'm like, have you had one? No. I'm like, well then how do you know they're gross? He goes, because they just look gross. I'm like, how, do, how does a cherry look gross? I'm saying, Whatever. So I said, eat one. He's like, no. I'm like, how about this? You eat one, or I shove one down your throat. Your call. And he goes, fine, and starts eating, and then he just grabs the bucket out of my lap and starts holding on to it. a lot of times in life we have a bad experience about something and then we label it as I will never go to that place ever again. What's crazier is a lot of times we don't even have a bad experience. Somebody else's somebody else had a bad experience and because they labeled it, we don't go. That happens to church on a regular basis. Oh, my cousin's brother's sister went there once and it was bad. Don't go there. Like, oh, okay, great. I'm out. How many times have you been with friends and you're like, hey, where do you guys want to go? Let's go to, and you name a restaurant. And they'll be like, oh, I was there one time or my friends were there one time. They didn't like it. And you go, all of a sudden you get a nasty taste in your mouth. You're like, well, sounds like a great idea, but I'm not going to do that now. Yeah. Jesus makes this moment and he pauses for a second and goes, I have been the topic of conversation. Has their viewpoints of who I am changed who you think that I am? You know what's interesting is the disciples paused. They pause in this moment. You know, Peter by himself is known to speak out. Peter knows he is just an open book, loud mouth kind of a guy. And I think a lot of times when we read this verse we think that Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're Jesus, the son of the living God. The next chapter it says Peter blurted out something. Three verses or four verses after this instance, Jesus calls him Satan. So I feel like in this moment when it says, and Peter said it wasn't this, I have this eureka moment. I think there was an awkward pause. I think Jesus Held the tension very well. And I think when he said, who do you say that I am? John, whom Jesus loved, didn't jump up and say, hey, you're the one that loves us. Nobody said anything for a little bit. Peter then goes, looking around at all these gods. I know who you are. I, I know who you are now. And it gets to this place... Where Jesus says, what do you say 2,000 years later? What's interesting to that word say, who do you say, is the Greek word Lego. Like like Legos, L-E-G-O. What's cool for me about Legos is my son loves Legos. He is obsessed with Legos for a long time. But can I tell you, for a lot of good Christian people, you don't know if you have the ability to cuss until you step on a Lego barefoot at night. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you have a, you have to you wake up, you got to get a drink, whatever it is, and then, whack out! you step on that something, and whatever is inside of you, things that you didn't know were inside of you, come out and come out quick. But what's great is that this little tiny rectangle Lego, this 4x2 uh, Lego, can't really do too much. It's just sitting there. But it has the ability to connect to something else. So when Jesus looks and says, What do you Lego about me? What do you say? What are you connecting yourself to? What thoughts and visions, what ideas and connections do you now have to who I am? How are you connecting? Because at the end of the day, guys, we always connect to something. We always connect to something. And what's great about Legos is that you have these these pieces that really are insignificant that can make something beautiful when it all comes together. Now in this piece right here, this one little square by itself, it's hard for you to see what it could be. But once you have a vision of what it can be, and you add in the extra Legos, you can have the ability with the instructions to do something great. And in this moment, Jesus is pausing and saying, "What do you say that I am? What are you connecting yourself to? Who are you connecting yourself? What idea? What vision do you have? Because if I just take all these Legos and throw them out on the ground and say, "Build something," I with all my heart will guarantee that if you didn't see that photo, you wouldn't build that photo. You'd build something, probably a house. You might build a car. You might try to find something that was already there. But can I tell you, once we connect our Legos to our own vision, it creates a moment that was not meant to be. And in this moment right now, when you're trying to connect your say to his vision of who he is, it opens the idea to build something that you've never seen before. So Jesus looks and says, who do you say that I am? Peter makes this statement, you are Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And I think it's interesting because it's just like I labeled Matt as the AC guy, as my friend, as my brother, it changed the access. And these men right here labeled him too. Uh, Jesus, some say that you're a prophet, which is great. Some say you're a miracle worker. Some say you're a good teacher. And you know what's crazy? If I call him a prophet, it's his responsibility to prophesy. If I call him a miracle worker, it's his responsibility to to do miracles. If I call him a good teacher, it's his responsibility to teach. But when I call him Lord, I'm now responsible for my actions towards him. Peter, by looking and saying, you are Christ, the Son of the living God he changed his label and said, I have to do something with this information now. When somebody says, how do you know you're saved? Did you change who you are after you said a prayer? Have you begun to walk that walk and change your perspective of what's going on? Have you gone through this life and stayed the same? Or are you constantly going, I need to apply who I call him to my personal life? Because if I call him a blasphemer like the Sadducees did, then he's, he's on his own. If he's a friend or a brother or a prophet or whatever else they wanted to call him, that's on him too. Mm. But once he becomes your Christ, the responsibility shifts to you. 3,000 years ago today, David asked that question. And we ask this question right now where we are. Who do you say that he is? David makes this statement where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. David connects himself to the shepherd. And your shepherd is whatever you build your life on. Your shepherd is what guides you. It leads you. It's everything that you are. And right now, we all are being led by a shepherd. We all have something that's guiding us, something that's leading us, something that's pulling us, something that's walking our lives, something that has been feeding us. And we get to this place and we have to ask ourselves, who is my shepherd? If I was to say, Psalms 23, Pete's version, the blank is my shepherd. And maybe right now it's going to be your money. Money is my shepherd. My job is my shepherd. My feelings are my shepherd. My approval of people are my shepherd. My freedom to do whatever I want whenever I want to do it is my shepherd. My relationships, my body, my addictions, my kids, whatever it may be, finds itself as your shepherd. And the reality is, is that everybody needs a shepherd and everybody has a shepherd. We all have something that meets our needs and that guides us. And a lot of times I watch church people, uh, they are tormented by their shepherds. Because what happens when we look and we say that our money is our shepherd and then we lose it? That's kind of easy, right? We can kind of look at that one. How about this one? Uh, There are people that church is their shepherd. And they have lived their lives for the approval of everybody else. And then when things don't work out the way they think they should have worked out, they feel abused. Can I tell you something? God is God and the church is the church. But the church is not God. Are y'all with me? When the church becomes my shepherd, I lean to the leadership of everything around us and the people that are around me to feed me, to guide me, to do everything, to nurture me. They are, it's their responsibility. They are my shepherd. You know, what's interesting. David never said, the temple is my shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Because your shepherd has four roles today. It feeds you, it guides you, it shields you, and it drives you. Approval addiction of other people, whether they be your family, whether they be your friends, whether they be your co-workers, whether they be your church people, cannot be your driving force to live a life that seems to be godly, but inside you're tormented. There's a lot of people that I see on a regular basis that are on the outward. We talked about having an outward stability. On the outward living godliness, but on the inside, they're tormented because it's not out of a heart of relationship with God. It's out of an approval addiction to everybody around them. So, Pete, we don't need to do good things. When I live my life based on the approval of everybody around me, they are my shepherd, not God. When my highs and my lows are determined on how many people like me and what they say about me and what they do for me, that becomes my shepherd. Listen, you're going to do good things in life and people are going to talk about it. You're going to do bad things in life and people are going to talk about it. Can I get a witness on those? You're going to do neutral things. You're going to go on a vacation and people are going to talk about it. People who will get up in the morning and bash you, but by the afternoon they're going to post 25 scripture verses on Instagram. People who will walk in on a Sunday morning and raise their hands and fall out in the Holy Spirit, but all the while they're living their lives to put somebody else down because they hate themselves. And what we're trying to find ourselves in is how can we be part of the church family without the church being my God? How can I connect to who He is without living on an approval addiction? And when I look and I say, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not saying, therefore, we need you to work harder. But can I tell you, a lot of times what people do is they, they, they equate what they do for God as their relationship with God. They look and say, I served in kids' church for 25 years. God, you owe me. This shouldn't have happened to me. I shouldn't have gotten cancer. I shouldn't have had these things because I did what what you want me to do. I was on the worship team. I served in youth group. I was, in the, I, I was on the dance squad. I was, dance squad? Does anybody do dance squad? I don't know. Uh, I, I was a greeter or an usher or, or I, I tithed or I confessed or I never had a boyfriend or I never had a girlfriend because I stayed pure. And this is how you treat me, God? And all the while, last week we talked, two weeks ago we talked about how we have this label that we try to say are God's babies and he's responsible for them. And he never said that. Next week, we're going to talk about what a role in the church really looks like. What's a healthy role? Don't want to miss it. But right now, I want you to pause and go, what has become my God? I play the piano, whether I want to or not. Um, And it, it gets this line where people have come and said, hey, good job. But that really wasn't my song. Hey, I like that. You can re- we, you can attest to this. Uh, that was a good good set, but maybe next time if you could really give me some more. Okay, okay. Okay. What they're saying is, "Hey Pete, you're my shepherd." to feel the presence of God. Hey Pete, you did a good message. Wasn't funny enough. It was too funny. It was too harsh. wasn't harsh enough. Hey Pete, you, you didn't feed me right. Can I tell you? My job is not to be your all in all. I get an hour and a half once a week. How much does Instagram and Facebook get from you? TikTok or scrolling through television. I'm supposed to undo everything and 90 minutes? You adults, feed yourself. I have to feed myself. Because God is my shepherd. The Lord feeds if he's your shepherd. That was a tangent. My bad, G. All right. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I in a place of wanting and needing? Because if you find yourself in a place of wanting and needing, then God is not your shepherd in that area. I didn't say desires. I desire a better house. I desire a better car. There's a difference between desire and needs. Can we all agree on that one? And this is an unpopular opinion for the American church, but you, you don't need everything. Our... Money can let us down. Our country can go to war. Our friends can betray us. Our churches can close the doors. Our kids can turn their backs on us and our bodies can fail us. But there is no shepherd that will be as successful as Christ your Lord today. He never fails. He never lets it go. If he said he'll do something, he'll do it. He can make a way where well, there is no way. He's known to put rivers in the deserts. He's known to split the seas. He's known to put clouds in the sky and fire in the sky. He's been known to raise the dead, heal the blind, uh, uh, fix people who are paralyzed. He's been known to read people's mail and can tell them every part of their lives. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the shepherd that you want. You never have to worry about going around a dark corner with Christ because he's already been there. He's already seen it. He's prepared a way for you. Peter had this moment. He said, it's been you, Jesus. It's always been you. You're the one I need. It wasn't the multiple boats so I could increase my fish business. It wasn't the rabbis at the synagogue who were telling me how horrible I was. For the first time, Peter had a moment of clarity and tranquility where he looks and goes, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And from that peace, his inner soul allowed him to have a moment throughout the craziness of his life. When Peter himself betrayed, when Peter was called Satan by Jesus, when he goes through everything, and he goes back to this moment to say, he was God. He could face every bit of torture. He could face the heat. He could face the cold. He could face the betrayal. He could face the judgment. He could go through everything in life and still maintain strong. That's how Paul looks and says, in the good times and the bad times, I'm saying the same. Because the shepherd didn't change. And he wasn't going around trying to get other people's approval to meet his needs today. Real quick, three things about your shepherd is this. Number one, you get identity from your shepherd. Identity. It's interesting about Psalm 23, the word sheep is never said. But when you read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores. We always get this mental picture of a green grass and water and sheep and then just relaxing. But notice, I think it's interesting, the word sheep, though it's mentioned 400 times in the Bible, is never mentioned one time in this chapter. It never calls you a sheep. So why do we feel like we are a sheep in this passage? The answer is, because David labeled him as a shepherd. So David looks and says, "If I know who he is, it tells me who I am. Your identity comes from your shepherd. If the Lord is a shepherd, that makes me a sheep. If he is a mechanic, that makes me a car. If he is a potter, then I am the clay. If he is a father, then I am the kid. When he is your shepherd, your identity is no longer in what you do, but it's in who he is. When you identify your shepherd, he gives you the identity. It's his role to talk to you. You know, we we live this life that's just crazy of, of, I need to go find myself. I need to go discover who I am. I need to go and search the stars to figure out my purpose in life. I need to do all of these things about me, and the entire time, David goes, it's not about you, it's about him. Because if you can figure out who he is, then he can tell you who you are. Because the whole process is not for a hammer to discover it's a hammer. It's for a carpenter to grab it and start beating some nails. And the reality in your life and in my life and everybody else's life is that we spend our lives going, well, I believe that there's a Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan, but I need to go find it. No, you need to connect with him and he will open the plan. And this is why we have so many discontented and, and, and disillusioned believers where they go, I prayed and I fasted for 30 days or 60 days, for 90 days, whatever it was, and I haven't done anything wrong, but I don't have this eureka moment. And can I tell you why? A lot of times it's because it's God's responsibility to give you the plan when it's time, not your job to twist his arm and manipulate him to crack too soon. Have you ever had that with your kids? Where they just keep pestering. Pestering, pestering, pestering. And finally you crack. You either beat them and crack or you crack and give them what they want. And it gets to this moment in this where we're we're pestering God with, I'm just gonna fast until he tells me to do something. Or I'm gonna pray until it happens. I'm gonna I'm I'm going to make him do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And you know what's crazy? He's God. And a lot of times, you know, I've watched my daughter, she'll start pouting, she'll pitch a fit. And her fits are just, and she'll go in the corner. And I'll look at him like, it's going to be a long day. Do I run to her? Baby, baby, what can I do to get you out of your fit? You know what I do? I make a sandwich. And I will sit there and I'll eat my sandwich and look right in her face. That sucks. I'm sorry. Get better. You'll get glad in the same pants you got mad in but I'm not going to change who I am because you pitched a fit. So if I would do that, why would we think that God would change his time schedule because I determined to pitch a fit? Can I tell you, I've been guilty of that so many times. So many times. I'm so desperate for a move of God in my life that I'm going to make something happen. It sounds cool, and it sounds spiritual, but it's stupid. It really is. Now, if God looks at you and says, hey, this is what you need to do, then do it with everything you are. But if you don't have a word from God and it's just a random idea, that might have been Chick-fil-A. It's, seriously, you might have watched way too much TV in or read something on Instagram and you post, that's a great idea, I should do the same thing. It worked for them, it'll work for me. It's like that whole, like, I have an issue in my life and I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, yeah, did you know that if you did a... Oh, what was it? I'm I'm gonna butcher this, so this may actually be right. I don't know. A lemon cleanse, you'll lose 70 pounds in a month. I'm like that's that's impossible. You can't lose 70 pounds in 30 days. You're... That's impossible. I'm like nope. I saw it on Instagram. This woman did it. She had before she had before and after photos. I'm like, yeah, baby. Those were probably two years apart. Yeah, you probably did, Candice. Candice, it was Candice. Um, But we're going to dive in. Number two is this, ownership. First is identity, second is ownership. You are owned by him. This is not a popular topic. He owns you. David says this in Psalm 100, verses 1 through 3. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come to his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who makes us, and we are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100. David looks and says, we're his. We're his. Have you ever found yourself buying something you already own? I did. My daughter a few months ago had me make cookies. I'm like, okay, we'll make some cookies. So we made some cookies. To which then she says, that'll be a dollar. She's like, yeah, you're going to buy my cookies. I'm like, I, I, made, I made the cookies. You You were on YouTube. I I bought the cookies. I made the cookies. They're my cookies. But she goes, I need a dollar, so you need to buy my cookies. All right. So I gave her a dollar. I gave her a dollar. It was sweet. It was cute. But then I realized later on as I was preparing this message, I made something and then I bought something. I double owned it. God made you, and then he bought you again. Not because he had to, but because he wants to. God could make 18 billion Dave camps, but he chose to make one. And then he made him, watched Dave, watched Pete, watched everybody fall astray. And the Bible says, Last sheep, we went astray. We lost our way. And he watched us do that and then paid a price again to get back what he already owned. Think about that. See, a lot of times we feel like we have this free identity to do what we want when we want and how we want to do it, and the truth is is that God is God, and he made you, and then he bought you. If I make something, and then you come up to my house and say, that's mine. That's not true. I, I made it. I can give you something, but it's mine. But when I bought it again, that shows you how much I wanted it. I read this story recently of a, of a, of a person who uh, their house had gotten robbed years and years and years ago. And they took an heirloom. That was theirs. It was like their grandfather's ring. Fast forward 10 years. They show up at a pawn shop and they see that ring. They tell the pawn shop owner, this is my ring. This, is my, this was stolen from me. Like, I'm sorry, this is where we are. So they bought their ring back again. And this is exactly how we look at Christ. Where We left, we were created, we left, and you are repurchased. He owns because he loves. And we feel like because he calls us an owner, that creates some kind of badness with it. But it's so freeing because if he owns something, he provides for that thing. If he owns it, he does it all. When my kids come to my house, it's my house. The clothes they wear, those are my clothes. The food they eat, those my, that's my food. But because they are also mine, I make sure that they have clothes, that they have food, that they have entertainment, that they have everything they need. Can I tell you, if uh, again, Candace's kid, uh, Addie comes by the house every once in a while, uh, they will go and try each other's clothes on and then walk away. That's cute. It's fine. But you know what? For the rest of her life, I'm not responsible for clothing, feeding, and taking care of Addie. But I am McKenna. God is forever responsible to take care of his kids. Number three, it creates contentment. Contentment doesn't mean that we always have what we want. And it doesn't mean that you always want what you have. But it does mean that you have that you have what you need, sorry. Contentment doesn't mean we always have what we want. And it doesn't mean that you want everything that you have. But it does mean that you will have everything that you need. This isn't some kind of a hippie mantra, full of peace, love, and joy. What it means is that I can tell you that God gives you what you need. I can't tell you how many times in my personal life, maybe you can, parents can attest to this, where your kids are happy and they're content. And then a commercial comes on. And they realize what they need in that moment. And we need to go to Target right now and go buy that, Dad. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, you yeah, I've lost your mind. Contentment is finding that spot where you go, I know what I need and I'm sustained in all of those things. When we line ourselves up as sheep, we can find contentment that He meets all of our needs. Next week, we're going to continue this path about what it means to be part of His. But today, as we get ready to close, it's time that you personally pause and say, "Who is He to you? The Lord is what? Is He some guy in the sky that's going to be judging everybody? What do you say? When you put your Lego pieces together, what what do you connect to today?" For some, he's a good guy. For some, he's fake. He's like Santa Claus. For some people, he's a prophet. Some people, he's a miracle worker. Some people, he's a sugar daddy. They, they, they try to get as much spiritual, as spiritual pinata and they can keep beating him. They'll get what they want out of it. Who do you call him today? What label did you put on him today? Because the label that I call him today creates responsibility on parties. Because if he's your Lord, then that means you do something with that. If he's your Savior, if he's your God, if he's your everything, you've got to do something with that. If he's just a a cool idea, it releases you from responsibility. But your responsibility to him is based on the label that you put on him today. His responsibility to you is based on the label that you put on him today, too. So who is he to you today? Is he the shepherd that guides, that feeds? Is he your everything today? Or is something else your shepherd? We all, like sheep, have a shepherd. Who fills that spot today? So God today, as we get ready to close, I think that we have the moments to pause and to ask the questions that we all have to ask. Just like you asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Today you're asking that same question. You're asking that question you're asking that question today on um, July eleventh, twenty twenty one. Who 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 do you say that I am? Not who does your mom say or your dad or what does Pastor Pete say or what does anybody else say? Who do you say that I am? And so today, God, I just ask that you begin to open our ears. Open our mouths. For those hearts who have been aligned to the wrong shepherd, who have felt abused, who have felt betrayed, neglected, whether that's by relationships or money or by church, maybe by parents, maybe by health issues, maybe it's by money or a job, that we've aligned ourselves to the wrong shepherd in different areas of our lives. God, I ask that we find our fulfillment and our peace in you today. That we recognize those big gaping holes of needs And realize the shepherd has been in the wrong spot the entire time. Today, oh God, open our ears. To hear what we call, shepherd. Open our eyes to see the truth of who you are. And God, let our hearts be full of wisdom and who you really, truly are today. Just like you revealed it to Peter, God. Reveal it to each and every one of us today. Call us yours. Beckon us back home. Let us see you in your real life. In your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.